More often than not, the road to healing and the road to change is a long, egregious process. Becoming an activist and advocate for others, you have to do the work that sometimes makes you uncomfortable, but it requires you to be honest and vulnerable. For my guest today, Frederick Joseph, his life trajectory and work as an author and an advocate has allowed him the opportunity to dive deep in his own past and share his growth and views with the world. You're listening to We Need to Talk. So you Frederick Joseph, welcome back to We Need to Talk. I'm always happy to chat with you. It's my pleasure. I'm I'm so excited to be here. It's been, I feel like it's been way too long since the last time we chatted. Like the world has changed 15 times. Yes, absolutely. Since we, I mean, we keep up with each other on social media, but yes, it's been a little over a year since we had our, our last one-on-one, which is wild to reflect back on this last year. But even more so, I feel like the last couple of months, we've just been hit with entirely too much and I wasn't prepared for any of it. And I was just looking at things. And I mean, the last time we talked, you just come off of, you know, your book coming out. Biden was just going into office, I think. And now we... You know, the last few months, we've just been hit with more problems in the black community. LGBTQ communities under attack. Women's rights are more so under attack. And there's just been bill after bill after legislation that is just pointed at hurting people. And I guess, just simply put, do you feel like we're regressing? Because I felt for a long time that we were making progress. And now I'm just like, I don't know where we are anymore. Yeah, I, I think that we kind of talked about that in our last conversation, right? Like, because for a lot of people, I think that there was so much promise um, and what was to come after, you know, Biden's inauguration, so on and so mm-hmm. forth. Um, and I've kind of, you know, I'm not like a, a, a tarot card reader or anything like that, but I think that on this one, I kind of saw the cards, um, you know, so <laughs> I, I think that there has the same way, like, I'm, I'm, this is a super long winded answer to a very simple question. Um, I, I think the same way that we saw a, essentially a white lash after President Barack Obama in getting Donald Trump, I think that we've seen that same thing um, happen on like a more uh, nuanced level in terms Mm -hmm. of a lashback against progressivism at almost every single level um, in not just our country, but globally. And I think what I've noticed, though, is that a lot of people that are kind of resistant to any form of progressive mindset, I don't even think they fully know what they're resisting. It's just to resist progressives. Oh, you know what? It's (laughs) I don't even know. You know, it's so funny. I don't even know that it's even to uh, resist progressives as much as it's just like it's that weird jump off a bridge because someone else is doing it (laughs) mentality. Right. Like I, I, I think that you know, I say this pretty often. I, I think with the advent of social media, what you have is people who become totems almost of the people that they follow, right? They regurgitate, mm-hmm. um, they disseminate, um, they internalize the things that they're taking from these people who represent them, which we used to have on a broader scale with social, with um, celebrity culture. Um, but I think that no one thought that they could be celebrities. I think that people think that they can be the the influencer that you see and so on and so forth. Yeah. And so when people, you know, like these far right influencers and pundits say certain things, people internalize that as an extension of themselves. So they kind of just roll with it as mm. as it is. Right. 
Right. It is a blessing and a curse, I think, when it comes to social media, because even for you, someone who uses your platform for good and, you know, someone will think that you're an extension of them and their beliefs. Someone on the other side might see all the good that you're doing and very obviously view it as a negative. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, I think that, <laughs> you know, you let me tell it. I, I would say most days I, I feel like the entire world despises me, you know? But, um, so, you know, I, you know, so it's, you're an educated black man. You have books, you're a New York Times bestseller. Of course they don't like you. <laughs> yeah. And, and but the sad thing about it is I think a lot of those people aren't even the most staunchly, you know, cross-burning folks or whatever. I think that that internalization is so seeped into even the people who are supposed to be on, quote-unquote, our side, under our Yeah. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. So, okay, I want to talk a little bit about that then because I, I your advocacy is obviously one of, one of my things that I love about you, but what are some of the comments that you've received from people that are maybe more moderate that aren't really understanding why you have some of the stances you do, even more specifically about the LGBTQ community? Because I know you talk a lot about, you know, trans rights and the Don't Say Gay bill that just came out, and those are things that I'm very passionate about as well. So I'm curious to know what kind of feedback you've gotten in terms of speaking out for them. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that a lot of times when you exist um, as a certain identity um, visibly, right? Like whether you are a person who is disabled, a person who is black, a person who is a woman, so on and so forth. When you speak up on things that people can kind of wrap their minds around in terms of that visible visible identity, people Mm -hmm. are kind of fine with it to a certain extent. Like it's like, okay, he wrote a young adult book for about anti-racism, you know, and he's black. So that makes sense to us. But I think with my next book specifically, which is my first adult book, Patriarchy Blues, you know, people are, and I'm starting to talk more about these issues, right? These yeah. issues of how patriarchy manifests in homophobia, transphobia, toxic masculinity, uh, massage noir, rape culture, et cetera, et cetera. And I've actually been working on this book for about six years. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I, you know, a lot of research, a lot of learning and, and, and unpacking, whatever. Um, but I think that people are not prepared for the idea, especially people who are moderate, that like our, our, our tribalism and our identity politics sometimes are shaken up by the idea that we have to reflect upon ourselves in them. Right. So like, Mm -hmm. um, you know, just yesterday um, I was saying I had, there was a post by um, Kim. There was a uh, rather a conversation that Kim was a part of, and he had said that he wanted a quote unquote traditional woman. He said he wanted a woman who could cook and and know when to be quiet. Right. You know, deeply misogynistic um, Mm -hmm. that he was saying. Um, so I, I said that publicly and then someone replied, well, would you say the same thing, um, to a woman who wanted a traditional man, quote unquote. And I said, well, I would call her as toxically masculine as I would call the guy, right? They are both manifestations of toxic masculinity and so on and so forth. So this one woman was like, well, you know, men are the only ones who could be toxically or practice toxic masculinity. And mm-hmm. I'm like, well, that's, that's not at all true. Right. And no. it's the way that black people can be anti-black women can very much be, um, misogynistic, right? That's yes. when, you know, have judged each other at times because they're they're practicing misogyny, um, mm-hmm. masculinity, so on and so forth, right? The idea that men can't cry or should be tough and all those things. If a woman thinks those things, that is toxic masculinity that she's perpetuating. But I think what you get, again, because of these identity politics is people are like, well, rah, 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 I'm a feminist and feminism means men versus women. And that doesn't allow for there to be like a conversation of like, well, that's not always just true, right? That's not how yeah. that works. I love that you bring that up because I think 
specifically watching the he confirmation hearings, right? And a lot of people were talking about, oh, the misogyny, misogyny. And I even talked about this with my mom. And she's like, well, I would say it was misogynistic, but, you know, there was that one woman who was questioning her. And I was like, no, Marsha Blackburn is absolutely misogynistic. And so I actually, I had to explain to my mom. She's like, oh, I never thought of it that way. And she's like, but you're totally right. And I think people just think that it's a male thing and it truly is not. So I really love that you bring that up because more people need to be aware of that for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, you know, using again, the idea of, well, I can use two examples, using the idea of anti-blackness, no one can argue to me that Clarence Thomas is not anti-black, right? Or Candace Owens. Or Candace Owens. And using the uh, the, the reality of being um, transgender, no one can argue that um, uh, Caitlyn Jenner is not uh, transphobic, right? Mm. So, so, you know, these things have to be conversations, but I feel like a lot of times, you know, the quote unquote left, um, you know, we as a collective, um, we don't go past our slogans, right? Like we don't, we don't get past our slogans and our hashtags, you know, uh, listen to women. Right. Cool, 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 cool. But what does that actually mean? Because Marsha Blackburn is also a woman. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think one of the problems that we are having in general with a lot of these movements that we're doing is exactly what you just said. We don't get past the slogan. We don't get into the action steps and the things that can actually make change. The slogans bring awareness, but where is the action following up with that? But we could talk about that probably for hours. Um, what I do want to talk about, though, is your new book, Patriarchy Blues, that is coming out on May 17th, correct? How is the tone different from The Black Friend? Oh, it's completely different. Um, you know, again, The Black Friend was written uh, for young adults. I mean, anyone I think can read it, like adults. I've been surprised at how many adults have taken a lot from the book, um, which I think just shows like, we all have work to do on all these fronts. But like, the, yeah. that book was written with the intent of like, being accessible for a 12 year old and like, sparking conversations and being like, okay, let me like think deeply about this. Patriarchy Blues, which I was actually writing at the same time as two other books that also come out next year. Mm -hmm. um, Patriarchy Blues is, it's its almost like someone's getting a chance to just sit with me while I'm having a glass of wine, writing in a notebook, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm just listening to, to jazz and considering the world around me as a black man who is disabled, who has um, practiced uh, womanized, womanization, who has been molested, who has um, been violent against other men, who has, um, you know, reconciled said violence, who still, you know, all these things are happening at once. And I'm just yeah. like, how are they all interconnected, right? Like, I grew up in the era of people saying things, uh, quote, quote, unquote, gay, right? Like, oh, you don't like this. Oh, that's gay. This and that third, right? What does it look yeah. like to come out of that era and look at mm. me? What does it look like to be at the dog park and women are walking by and men assume that they could just say to me like, oh, what would you do to that? Like this and mm. what does it look like for me to actually talk about these things that are happening and how they're happening around us? You know, I write letters in that book to my father who was an absentee father who I've never met. I write a letter to the woman who molested me. I, you know, um, I write, I, I, there's just a ton in there. I talk about how white women, their, their PR um, group, um, was actually what upheld the KKK. The KKK was actually like falling apart and white women came up with the idea of how to turn it into something that was more socially acceptable. I love that there's a level of vulnerability that's obvious that you, just off, based off of the things that you're sharing. I love that. And then my question to you is because 
we're talking about, you know, toxic masculinity. And I saw you also even reposted to Sheena Arnold's question about how do we not, you know, emasculate men anymore? What do you say to people that think that men who are vulnerable and show their emotions that they are being emasculated? Because that's what I got from that tweet. And just listening to you say that, I'm curious if you think that you're going to get some of that response as well. Well, I, I think I've already gotten a ton of it. I mean, even just something as simple as like having my pronouns in my bio, there's different like men and women who don't want to work with me because on different projects because they've said, oh, you have your pronouns in your bio. What does that mean? It's that third. <laughs> like, I mean, I don't really care. I am happy right. engaged to a beautiful woman, so on and so forth. It happened for a long time. We're getting married in a few uh, months, you know, whatever. But but I, I think that what I would say- But you don't even need to explain that to anybody. Right, you don't even, you know what you I mean? Don't even, that's why I said I don't care, but like that's yeah. the reality, but it's just so yeah. how people's mindsets work. But I think, you know, there's gonna be a ton of flack and like, I don't, I, you know, I, I think that that idea of emotions and vulnerability and, 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 and that somehow being emasculating is an entry point, hopefully, for people understanding how we're all implicated, right? Because I, I learned that growing up too, but I didn't actually, but the funny thing is I didn't learn it from men in my life because there weren't any men in my life. I actually mm. learned it from the women in my family, like the black women in my family are like, oh, you know, if I fell, you better not be crying because they had internalized that toxic masculinity, right? So like, what did it look like for all of us, hopefully not, if not with this book, then somebody's book, somebody's something, right? To like, take a step back and be like, okay, okay, okay. What are we dealing with here? Like what's happening in reality? In terms of the black community specifically, for those that read your book, what are you hoping they will get out of it? Because I know within our community specifically, we have a lot of issues with that mindset, like a lot. And I really want people to get out of it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I I think that the black community and white women were at the center, like men as a whole generally, but I think that everybody assumes that every conversation again about like feminism and, and, and patriarchy is like men, doing things with me so on and so forth. And I was like, I'm going to take it a step further and talk mm-hmm. about that and something much bigger, right? And I hope yeah. that the Black community, like white women, see their place in what I'm talking about, right? Because what yeah. I've done, I think, and, and maybe I've not done it well, I wrote the book now a year ago, but like what I think that I've done is I've set the stage in various moments, right? The book is broken up into different sections. Like the first section is essentially like, like, uh, uh, it's called patriarchy is, and it like, it's just like all these essays and reflections on like what the patriarchy is, what, what gender is, all these different things. Right. Like, yeah. And after that you get into like a section that's called in defense of black women, but in defense of black women is this hope for black women by also seeing how we're all implicated, including black. Yeah. Women, right? And then there's like yeah, yeah, yeah. what white feminism has taken and all these different things. And, and what I'm hoping again for the black community is that it's like, look, like as I see this with a lot of, with a lot of black cishet men, especially, is this idea that somehow um, there's an LGBTQ plus agenda that is like contrary to like a black agenda, right? But like my 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 very early argument in the book, like one of the earliest points that I make in like the opening essay is that there are black people who are in the LGBTQ plus community as there are black women as well. So on and so forth, right? They're in the same way that there are black people who are wealthy, there are black people who are poor, and all of them have to come along on this journey if we are ever going to actually be liberated, right? Mm -hmm. What if if Mm -hmm. I as a black cishet man am somehow liberated, but you as a black woman are not liberated, then I am not liberated, 
right? Yeah. My community yeah. is not liberated. So that's that's what I'm hoping that people take away is that we're literally all fighting and patriarchy itself is a manifestation of colonial white supremacy, right? And I don't think that people understand that. You want to talk about all this hotep, get back to the root stuff. But when you go back to like actually learning about where we come from, learning about um, West Africa, Central Africa, East Africa, right? These colonial mindsets of patriarchy are actually fairly new. You know, it, just in listening to you, what I appreciate is the mindset that you have. And I'm sure you, even in writing the book, you, you probably learned a lot about yourself, right? Mm. I'm always of the mindset of when you know better, you have to do better. And some people, it's just so difficult for them to get to that point. How did you personally get to that point? Huh. It's a good question. Um, <laughs> I, I think that there were different points, right? There were multiple points. I think that there was a point... Um, and I talk about this, I think there was a point, for instance, with violence, right? Where like, I grew up, for lack of a better term, just like beating dudes up, right? For, but not like, but I was never a bully. I would use violence as my thing to like make things right. Like, so like, let's say someone's making someone, making fun of someone who had a disability. I would beat them up, right? Let's say someone, let's say I was at a bar in New York City on right. a night and some guy's in a woman's face and he's not moving. I'm like, oh, great, an opportunity to beat somebody up. But with this book allowed me to do for instance was like reflect upon what I was actually doing and what I was actually perpetuating and like where that anger and angst was even coming from for example mm. right um you know so there was like that point then there was the point of what does it even look like that like in this book this was the first time that I ever really cried over my father not being around like I wrote wow. this letter and end the book with this letter and I like literally was shaking as I like finished writing it. I was like shaking. I never really, because like the era that I'm from is the post crack epidemic era. Right. And in the inner cities around the country that demolished black families. So, you know, you have the prison industrial complex, the war on drugs, so on and so forth. And it took, a, it, it, it destabilized a lot of black households, homes, you know, traditional families, so on and so forth. So my father wasn't around like many other people's fathers went around, but I, I normalized that. Right. I normalized mm -hmm. that for 30 plus years. And then, you know, getting to an age where I was just like, oh my God, I am broken, mm. right? And this book allowed me to have that kind of cathartic moment. I love that. This was like therapy for you. Yeah. Self-therapy. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. great. Yeah. That's great. A lot of people are afraid to get to that point though, because when you realize, you know, where your own personal trauma comes from, and then you realize in your thirties, you're like, I haven't dealt with this at all. Like that had to have been a very, very heavy experience. Yeah, it was, I mean, again, and, and I think that like, <laughs> like the thing for me, and this is one of the, the ways in which I understood in, in the process that I'm still a cishet man writing about these things. Right. So yeah. I didn't want to be holier than thou. So I held myself accountable throughout the book, right? I'm not going to talk about violence without being like, I was also a part of this. I'm not going to talk, like, I can, like, write a letter to the woman who molested me at eight years old from eight to 10 and also reflect upon how that made me not only afraid of women, because that would be half the story. I also learned to hate women and that hate transmuted into misogyny which then transmuted mm. into womanizing and the whole time like and I write this in the book I was actually trying to fill a hole that she took from me by taking pieces from other women you know yeah what I mean? yeah and yeah. so I had to hold myself accountable while I was also kind of like having this therapy did you get to a place for not only forgiveness for her and for your father but for yourself as well 
I think that I, I got to a place of, I think that there has to be personal accountability and that I understood that I'm not going to ever get, but I, uh, but I forgive them for the ways in which these systems cheated them. Right. Mm. Because I think that looking at my father, he was a product of, of something that's much older and more toxic than he is. Something that hurts you and I while we're even on this call. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think for the woman who molested me, she was a product of, in, in major part, probably how little we do about mental health in this country. Right. Like, yeah. Um, and how, you know, the signs of certain things aren't, aren't normalized because, you know, they say a lot of people who are abusers were abused. Right. So, mm-hmm. I'm, I, so I have to think to myself, maybe someone when she was my age was doing the same to her and doesn't make it right, but it helps me understand. With, I mean, with this book, your last book, and all that you do on, on social media in terms of educating people and sharing, have you had any success with reaching across the aisle and getting people to understand your perspectives and, and even get to a point of even saying, you know, I never thought of it that way or, or thank you, someone that you probably would have disagreed with on a regular basis? You know, it's interesting because I'd say... Yes, but not in the way that you think. I, you know, I kind of align with the AOC mindset that in any other country, you know, we wouldn't all be a part of the same party, for example, right? So, like, yeah. when I'm thinking of across the aisle, sometimes that does mean my more moderate and centrist friends, right? The one, yeah, that's true. So, you know, I haven't had any luck reaching across the Mississippi, um, <laughs> you know, but 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 I've had but I've had some <laughs> luck in people who like you, the, the groups of people who are like, Oh, I don't see race. Right. Um, versus I am a racist. You know, I've had luck with them and being like, okay, well you're getting it wrong still. Or like, you know, a, a woman messaged me recently um, after the Will Smith moment. And, you know, she, cause you know, I think she originally had said to me like, you're just flat out wrong about everything. There's nothing here. There's nothing else here except for, and she's a white woman. There's nothing else here. I've been following you, but you're, you know, there's only, one man slapped another man. There's no other nuance to it. It's toxic masculinity. This is what women have to deal with on a regular basis. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, well, there's a lot more to it. But then me, just, I was posting things on a regular basis, just as things were coming to me as I was seeing things. And she did message me days later. She's like, hey, sorry, because there is so much more nuance. And I didn't want to listen to you because you are a man. And then funny enough, days later, women were saying the same thing, right? Like, Mm -hmm. so- so it was interesting. So yeah, those are there's moments that exist like that. Yeah, and speaking of that moment that took up entirely too much news time, in my opinion, <laughs> in my opinion, yeah, because I, I I I was definitely aligned with a lot of what you were saying, and it definitely there was way more nuance than just Will Smith getting up and slapping Chris Rock though. But what I one thing I did appreciate you actively speaking about was how it was a version of protecting black women, and that. You know, for in, in conversations I had, it's like it's sad that black women have to be happy about somebody slapping somebody just to feel like we're seen in a way, right? Yeah. And you can say what you want about Jada. I don't really care what your opinions about Jada are. Yeah. I view her as a black woman because she is a black woman, and that was what I was seeing in this moment. Like, okay, what what else is going on here, right? So I love that you were able to have that conversation with that woman, and that she did come back. And I, I want to know for you 
what you did feel seeing that moment. Did you it automatically click what that was or what was your immediate reaction? Because I'm sure it took some time, not even a lot of time, but it wasn't, I don't think it was as, you know, intellectual as you got on your reels when you first saw it. So I am curious what your first reaction was. I mean, look, you know, I rock with you heavy. Like, you know, I really, really, I really, really mess with you. So I'll be really transparent. So like, you know, me and my fiance, we're both from the hood, right? Like my fiance is from, you know, the projects in Seattle. I'm from the projects in New York. And a lot of my work is in discussing how little historically Black women have been defended in any capacity, right? Like in yeah. any capacity yeah. whatsoever. And I grew up with that being instilled in me, right? Like you got to protect this hand So, you know, and I, I'm also used to a certain level of violence around me, to be quite frank, right? Yeah. Like putting yeah. a body in front of a Black woman is in part how I've been taught. Um, all that to say, you know, when I saw it, and I think I also had a, I had a history that like other people didn't have of like alopecia and stuff like that. But yeah, yeah. I saw it, I, <laughs> I was hyped for Will and for Jada, you know? I mean, <laughs> I mean, and so was my fiance, right? And, and I think that's, that's the thing that people don't understand because I think people like project their realities on everybody else. People are like, nobody yeah. wants this. I'm like, I'm not gonna lie. My, my fiance is half black and she was sitting there like, yeah, get him, Will, right? <laughs> and like, so was like, and so were all the black women in my family, right? Like, yeah. not a my family is not some like church going Christian forgiveness family. We are very much like, you know, my 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 auntie was a black panther. She's out here, you know, it's smoke, you know. So she's, yeah, 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 you know, yeah. But 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 I understood also who I exist as in a public sphere. So it was I can I can talk about the nuance of like what's going on and how that was a version for some of protecting black women. Mm -hmm. There could have been other versions, right? He could have maybe got up there taking the mic who really knows, but then also talk about like, it really didn't matter what he did because like, ultimately if he did anything in a public display, white systems in society were going to treat him basically the same way. It was a lose, lose situation. And yeah, like I'm not from the hood, but I was like, if that happened in a parking lot, nobody would have said anything or cared, right? It would have been absolutely, oh, he was defending Jada. Like Chris, he got popped in the mouth because he was, you know, talking smack, right? Maybe it should have happened in the parking lot or after the show, so on and so forth. For sure. But what it looked like, I mean, there have been wars launched historically over white women, right? There have been like literal... Like people, like, I mean, like you talking about like a white woman cries and they are like having the FBI and it's that they're black women. You have, I remember that thing recently with a, with a young white woman ended up being um, killed, but she was missing. Um, and they had like half the governmental agencies in the country, yeah. this white woman. And yeah. I, every, I forget what the statistic is, but every day countless black women go missing and nobody's even looking for them. Nobody even knows. Yeah. Right, so nobody knows. Yeah. <laughs> What does it look like to feel, you know, to feel like for those who are aware, what does it look like to feel like you as a black woman are this kind of like candle in the wind and nobody's giving you any cover and somebody's like, no, F that. I don't care about these systems. I don't care about this moment. I don't care about these white people. You're not going to embarrass my wife over her disability and her in this white space as you have tried to do countless times historically. So yeah. Are you ever surprised? Because for me, I did see a lot of anti-blackness in the response to this, right? Yeah, yeah. Are you ever surprised by the amount 
of anti-blackness undertones when situations like this happen because people will fight tooth and nail to be like it's nothing about racism blah, blah, blah. it's like however let's let's break it down and show you why it is but are you ever surprised I'm not surprised. And I think that the deepest part of it is because I, I get it on a regular basis. And I think that I have so much proximity to so many different types of spaces, right? Like I live in a pretty affluent community. I, um, but I also go back to the, to the hood on a regular basis. I, yeah. you know, I have family, I have friends and family who, who range from attorneys and doctors to, to, to trap boys, right? Like, so um, in that, I also have proximity to whiteness, right? Like, and how different versions of whiteness exist. The whiteness in, in the hood that exists more so in the form of policing, the whiteness that mm-hmm. with the doctors and attorneys in the forms of microaggressions and, and like um, uh, moral judgment and things like that. So nothing ever surprises me, but I do think what was interesting is how the moment projected on Black people, and including myself, because like, this is the first time that I've said publicly that I was like, oh, when a slap happened, I was like, huh, well, anyway, right? This is the first, this is the first time that I've ever said this. It, never in any of my commentary did I say that Will was, <laughs> was right for slapping him. I just talked about like, oh, well, you know, like this is the Senate third and he's protecting yeah. blah, 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 blah. But people, white people projected so much on me that I was not willing to admonish and destroy this black man as say like a Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was that it was like, I was treated as if I slapped somebody, right? right? I'm like, oh, shoot. Like, like, well, you must be out here beating the S out of people if you don't care. I'm like, whoa, I'm watching. extreme, yeah. No, I'm like, whoa. I'm in the crib watching Bel Air right now. I'm just chilling, (laughs) alone. (laughs) Which is amazing, by the way. I don't care what anybody says. I love the new Bel Air, but I'm not. I'm not going to digress on that. But I do love it. But what I what I did notice is with this specific situation was how, and this goes back to the whole protect black women thing. I felt like I saw more people be upset over a tiny slap because it was it was a bitch slap like i'm just gonna he slapped him it was open-handed there was no blood he didn't punch him he wasn't on the ground it was a slap okay mm-hmm. we've definitely seen worse there's worse in films that these people make right but none of those people were coming to the defense of katanji who was getting verbally berated for days after days and that was what was so surprising to me now i'm not trying to do like the whole straw man argument thing but if we're going to speak up about violence then we need to be consistent and i think that that's the thing that bothered me so much yeah i mean i completely agree i think that well for first for, for starters i don't think that people have a good understanding of what violence entails right mm. like mm. i think you know the same thing kind of happened to me and my fiance we had this incident in a dog park where this white woman did this whole i remember that i remember that and she was like oh i'm gonna call the cops and she slapped the phone out my hand all this other stuff and i and she ended up getting fired because i reached out to her her um, company so on and so forth but people said that i was in the wrong and, and i was like well she was violent racist like well how is she violent how is she racist i'm like she literally threatened to call the cops. And I'm like, people don't understand how violence can be verbal and emotional, right? And then manifest in the physical, how it lives in your body, especially as black people who have generational PTSD from suffering from this since we landed on on these um, shores, right? So I, I think that people don't have a good understanding of violence, but also people love any excuse to police black people. That's yes. just like any excuse there is to police black actions. People love that because the reality of it is, even when people are erasing Marsha Blackburn um, and like what she was doing to Katanji is like, well, you know, she's a Republican. No, 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 no. What she's doing is 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 
patriarchal, it's white supremacist, it's, you know, it's all these different things. And, and people, again, people just don't have an understanding. I mean, like you're talking about Katanji, shoot. The week before, the same people who were mad about a slap were talking about we should nuke Russia. What are y'all talking about? Right. It's literally the same thing, like, oh, <laughs> we should grab Putin up and do him like we did Saddam, hang him on public television. And then the week later, they're like, oh, I have never in my life did he just slap my children, but my children. But you want your children to see Putin being lynched on public television people who have like they're like well russia's and i made this point once people like well russia is bad like no 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 no. putin is bad russia is a nation when trump was the president that had nothing to do with me as an individual and i just don't i don't think there's any example that you can give to people to put the mirror in front of them to show them how how hypocritical they're being i don't know how we get past that truly i don't i i I don't know either i think that I think, you know, to be quite frank with you, I, I think that my first book, I'm happy that it's done a decent job of that for people because the entry point wasn't solely academic. It was conversation. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think that, um, you know, part of, I think part of the issue of anti-racism as a whole is that a lot of it for people is academic jargon, right? Um, it is, you know, quote unquote, woke jargon from social media, so on and so forth. And I don't always disagree with that, right? I think that when you like talk about things, you got to talk about the people who are actually living within these systems, living within these constructs in ways that are human, right? Mm-hmm. Like, in mm-hmm. ways that are human in ways that are vulnerable in ways that are real, right? Like I think that one of the reasons why people seem to be drawn to some of the things I say is because you can catch me at any given moment talking about the Lakers or talking about white supremacy. I'm a whole human, right? Yeah. I don't have to pretend right. like- some, You're well-rounded. <laughs> I don't have to pretend like, or drinking a beer, right? I'm like, oh, I'm in here drinking a beer, watching the game, right? And they're like, okay, this is a black guy who I would like to hang out with who also I want to be better for, right? Yeah. And I think that's yeah. some, some of the difference of how we go about getting people to like, see themselves in these constructs and in their hypocrisy. Well, I I mean, I appreciate all that you do. You know, I'm a fan, a friend, all of that. I'm going to support you always. So please let everyone know where they can follow you and about your book and how they can get it when it's out. Well, I appreciate everything you do. And, you know, much love to you and your family, Black woman. I mean, and I mean that very deeply. I think that we, I think we occupy these spaces where we have to send each other as much love as possible. Yes. Um, Amen to that. To each other, who's going to send it to us? Um, But um, anyway, people can find me um, on Instagram and I guess Twitter for right now, depending upon. <laughs> I know. I was like, I even tweeted. I was like, is he bored? Like, what is he doing? He has to be bored. He, I don't know why he is, but he is. Like you said in the beginning of the conversation, there's so many things happening. But, <laughs> but for right now, people can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Fred T. Joseph. Um, and in terms of my next book, um, Patriarchy Blues comes out May 17th. Uh, and you can get it literally anywhere. Um, I, I prefer that people get it from Black-owned in the bookstore if they can, but you can get it anywhere. So Awesome. Thanks so much, Fred. Thank you. And to the listeners, thank you for your weekly support of We Need to Talk. Make sure you like, comment, share, review, and most importantly, subscribe. Thank you to Stephen James, our theme song writer and producer. And remember, everything begins with a conversation.